Live from the slightly twisted deck bar, it's the Poogee Podcast with Justin Lamine. The Poogee Podcast is proudly sponsored by Cimarron Golf Club, located in Jacksonville, Florida, off County Road 210, just west of St. John's Parkway. What is going on, everyone? It is lunchtime on June 11th, and we are here to uh, give you some sports updates. want to take a few minutes to talk about the NBA, but real quick, some news out of hockey. July 10th is going to be Phase 3 opening up with training camp, and in the NFL, we do have uh, mini camps being officially canceled, but virtual meetings are still taking place. But I do want to talk a little bit about the NBA, so let's talk about it. I have heard recently that the NBA players, a conglomerate of them, are hesitant to continue the season down in Orlando. There's been some hiccups in the agreement that they have with the NBA, seven-week quarantine period before they can see their families or venture off Disney property. So it seems like a lot of the players that would be involved with these 22 teams are not going to uh, be big fans of that agreement. Um, can you blame them? I don't think so. There's a worldwide pandemic going on. There's no vaccine. There's really no info on what's going on. So I guess that opens the door for maybe some uh, generational talent that has yet to be discovered to expose themselves at the wide world of sports. And in the past, we've seen a lot of great replacement movies. I mean, you got Dottie Henson from A League of Their Own. She came in when the war started. And you got Shane Falco from The Replacements. Keanu Reeves, who doesn't love that? So this could open up the door for a fantastic movie down the road with some replacements coming in for the NBA at the wide world of sports. I could see a movie being made about 2020 in the next few years, especially around the world of sports with how much this has affected everyone. Uh, We will see what happens. I do know the NBA is extremely, extremely excited to get back to being played and would love for Zion Williamson and the Pelicans to make it. And why wouldn't they? Zion Williamson, one of the most marketable players on the, in the league uh, on a very uh, mediocre team, but that type of superstar talent could draw some very big TV eyes, especially coming out of Duke, a huge basketball college with a lot of viewers. So that's let's talk about it. And now let's get to the interview part two of Ben Murphy, First Coast News sports anchor part two here, talking a little bit about Florida Gators football, all athletics, as well as PGA Tour golf and his thoughts on the UCF Knights program down there in Orlando. Enjoy it. So thank you for tuning back into the Puji podcast for this special part two edition of Ben Murphy's interview from this Monday. So if you haven't listened to part one, I definitely recommend going to listen to part one before starting part two. Uh, if you did listen to part one, please enjoy uh, this second part where he dips more into his viewpoints and opinions on the University of Central Florida and where they stand within the state of Florida. So thanks for coming back and enjoy this part two. Now, within the state, you obviously have Florida State, Miami, and Florida as the, for the past 20, 30 years, even 40 years, being the big three. And as you can see behind me, the UCF flag, but with me trying to take as much bias out of it as possible, where, where does UCF fit into the state as far as the football culture goes, as far as their talent goes? And is there an opportunity for them to maybe start competing consistently with those other three schools in the state year in and year out? Yeah, no, UC, what UCF has done in the last five years is, is incredible. Um, I think had they gone head-to-head with Florida State in the last two years, they'd run them out of town. Um, I think you look at what FIU did against Miami last year. No reason you see it, UCF couldn't have done that handily as well in the last couple of years uh, against Miami. I think right now the, the, the issue that lies within UCF is I put UCF in right now in the same category that I put Houston – 
Memphis, and where they're in a great location. Um, they can recruit talent around the school. But right now, until they get, until they are able to, one, be put in the playoff conversation by either strengthening up the front load of the schedule or two, getting in a conference that allows them to not necessarily be a spot where their coach will want to come in and go to his alma mater at Nebraska or become a, a jumping point like you've seen at Houston. Houston has had a problem of coaches coming in for two years, three years, and then having success because you can get those talented kids at UCF um, and you can get that frontline talent. I think the frontline talent with UCF is catching the rest of the schools in the state, but right now the depth, to be able to create depth, you got to start recruiting in the top 20, top 25, top 15 um, across the country. And I think to do that, you got to have some stability within the coaching staff. Um, and if, and, and if and maybe, and maybe this is their guy, maybe he wants to, maybe he wants to stay for five or six years and then watch out because they can create that depth. Um, and, and maybe we'll see over the next five, 10 years, we see more of a super conference type deal in college football where there's 15, 20 teams within a conference and UCF is able to make their way in. But until they are able to create that stability, they can catch lightning in a bottle, as we saw in the last two or three years, but they got to create that depth somehow to be able to compete and buy for a spot um, uh, amongst the top 10, 15 programs in the country, uh, not just in the state of Florida, but across, across the nation because they're getting there. Um, as we, what we saw Boise, do, Boise State do in the last 15 years, they got, they got there, but they needed to get over that hump and you got to have depth to do that. Yeah, and I think what I told a lot of my friends uh, when this win streak kind of started back in 2017 was it's not a short-term play. It's You need the consistency um, to kind of go from one season to the next to start kind of gaining some of that respect. And we did see it kind of start happening in 2018 where uh, they were a little bit more discussed college game day, went to UCF, mm -hmm. albeit on an off week for the rest of the college football uh, season. Um, but we did start to garner some of that respect. And then even we saw to the point where the American Conference itself at one point this past season had four teams ranked within the top 25, um, which is a, a pretty interesting statistic in itself for being a group of five conference. Um, so we will see what can happen. But I do think what a lot of people don't realize is what you mentioned there with the depth and especially within the trenches. When it comes to speed on the outside and when it comes to the receivers and the defensive backs, a lot of these group of five teams can potentially match up skill-wise, but I think where they lose a step is in the trenches. They don't have the 6'4", 300-pound guy. They maybe have the 6'2", 275-pound guy, and that's where the biggest difference lies, and that's why we do see some of the most talented players coming out of those bigger conferences. So we'll see what happens. I know recently the uh, UCF and UF baseball uh, kind of scheduling hasn't been approved. I'm not too sure where that lies right now. I think Greg Lovelady, coach of UCF, mentioned Kevin O'Sullivan wasn't too interested in, again, we've heard it before with the two programs, not doing home and homes and um, not doing uh, UF coming to UCF. So who knows the next time we'll see these two programs battle it out on the field of any sport. We don't know. Um, it is a bummer because they are only about an hour and 15 minutes away. So it would be an exciting thing, I think, for the state. As far as the level of suppression, I guess, would be the term I would use from a fan's point of view. From your stance as Florida fans, is it more of a, hey, you're not welcome to this table, you're not welcome to the party? Or is it simply, you just haven't done enough to earn the respect from us to even pay attention to you in a, in a magnified light? 
I think the thing that really set off Florida people, in my opinion, is not necessarily the the national champions claiming that. I think people kind of push that aside wholeheartedly anyways. I think the thing that really kind of set Florida people off was in the, it was in the last year when the report of we'll play two games in Gainesville and one game in Orlando, take it or leave it, um, and they decided to leave it really was kind of the point for Florida fans where they're like, look, here's here's how here's how the people in Gainesville view it. They they view it as, look, we don't need to play UCF. We, they don't need to. If Florida can run their slate, they're in the playoff. If UCF signs up for their regular slate and runs the slate, as we've seen, they're not in the playoff. So how Florida people view it is, we don't need to sign up and play this. So if you want to play us, sign up for what we've given you because you need you need to play us and beat us to have that leverage over recruits, over kids if you're if you're going down the street even in Orlando to get that five star like you said six foot four two hundred fifty five pound defensive end to keep him from going to Florida State. You've got to play Florida State. You got to figure out a way to sign up and, and leverage yourself against Florida and Florida State. So even if it's a two for one, what do you have to lose? Um, and I think that's really kind of what where that all came from. That they that I, I think it was the UCF AD who who kind of chimed in and was like, "Well, we're we're on an equal playing field. Let's play one for one." But in the national perspective, if you're on an even playing field and you go undefeated, then you should have been in the playoff. So at some point, you've got to create that leverage for yourself and sign up to play Florida. Um, and I don't think there's anything to lose for UCF. I mean, even if you got to go to Gainesville twice. Um, I know there was talks of it, whether they're going to play at Spectrum or if they're going to play at Camping World. Um, either way, it's in Orlando, and there will probably be people that show up in orange and blue because I know there's a fan base there, and I know UCF people will travel to Gainesville. Um, it's just – it is what it is. But I think at some point, whether it's Florida State, whether it's Miami, um, whether it's Florida, I think that's really – that was kind of the tipping point in the in – the, and the online rivalry or whatever you want to call it was that they refute, they kind of turned down the offer to play and how Florida views it as well. You, you need it. You, yeah. you should want to sign up and, and take this opportunity because guess what? If Florida loses, that's, I mean, that is, I mean, that is, a, that, is that could, that could change some things for UCF. Um, even if you just take one of the three um, in the, in the three game set, I mean, that can, that can go ways for recruiting. That can go ways of momentum in this state. Um, I think it can do a lot if you sign up and, and, and you're able to get the job done. But to get to that next level, you gotta, you got you to gotta be one of the big ones. And it's unfortunate for UCF that right now they're not in the ACC or SEC to where they don't have that leverage, but they can create it by playing and beating Florida, of course. Yeah. And I think that's been one of the most frustrating things for UCF fans is that a lot of the things that get held against them are sometimes out of their control where it does come down to strength of schedule, where why should we be held accountable to the conference that we're in? We don't control how good ECU mm -hmm. is. We don't control how good Memphis is from one year to the next. Obviously, Mike Norvell gets poached and goes to FSU. So now what is Memphis going to do? So a lot of the things that have been held against UCF, I do think are kind of out of their control to a certain extent. On the same side of that, I do think that they need to do what they can do in, in their control. And that would be kind of maybe scheduling albeit maybe an unfair scheduling thing in their eyes. Like you said, Florida doesn't need to play UCF. That's not the case. Florida is grandfathered into this uh, power five, you know, I guess stature because, mm -hmm. you know, they've been around for a long time. They were in the SEC from the beginning, all these things, and they don't need UCF. It's UCF that needs Florida. So I fully agree with that. And 
to be honest with you, I would love just playing two and one if one was at the bounce house and two were in the swamp. Like, it would be a great game. I go to a lot of the away games just as a fan and just enjoy the environment, and it'd be great. You know, and within the state, being an hour away, I think it would be a lot of fun. Now, I do want to ask you, if if Florida and UCF had a conversation, let's say, back in 2013 about a schedule for, let's say, 2016, 2017, right? Now, if Florida plays UCF when Florida was maybe going, what was it, seven and six, maybe they went five and seven at one point, you know, is does that swing the power in any certain direction? Or is this simply a problem now because both teams are becoming powers within their respective conferences? Yeah, I think it was uh, – I think the the time of – so if they flo- if Florida played in 2016, if they played in 2016 or 2017, yeah, there there's um, – from the period of 2013 to 2018, I mean, there was such – there was such confusion. I mean, Florida didn't really have an identity on the football field. There was a, it was kind of a, a, a lost, a lost entity, if you will. Uh, I think, I think now if they did play, um, it would probably hold a little more weight because Florida lost some games. And, and during that four or five year stretch that people forget about, whether it was, I know people will call out the, the Georgia Southern loss where Florida only let them throw one pass and they somehow lost the game. But there are games where Florida lost homecoming against Vanderbilt. Florida lost a home game against Missouri where Missouri, Missouri scored a touchdown six different ways. I mean, there, there, there were a lot of games in during that five or six year stretch where it was just like, okay, for Florida, here we go again. Um, I think for UCF, if they could sign up and play them from the years 2019 to 2025, it's going to hold a lot more weight because right now Florida fans think that they're back. Um, and not like Texas back, like, oh, this is a year that Florida can make the playoff. Um, and now had they played in that 2013 to 2016, 2017 stretch when they're firing a coach every two to three years, it's going to get more bl- blown, pushed to the side, um, brushed under the table. Um, and I, that's just, that's what it was. I think um, during my four years at Florida, they had, I want to say the stat was two offensive touchdowns in four years against Florida state in the exact four years that I went to Florida. So there were a lot of things that Florida, Florida people will put as skeletons in the closet. And if UCF played Florida during that time stretch, it would probably be one of them um, to, to go along with the mini things that are in that closet from that, that time period. But if they were to sign up and play now, when, the uh, the I know potential offer was for those two teams to go home and home and then back in Gainesville um, would hold a lot more weight. I, I can tell you that because they believe that they have their coaching staff in place and that they're on the rise. And if UCF were to come in and knock them off, which they very well could do at any point, it would hold weight. And I think I think at the end of the day, like you just said, well, first of all, we have our own skeletons in our closet, obviously going mm-hmm. 0 12 about five years ago. So that's our biggest skeleton that we like to push aside. But the second thing is, is I think because of that stature and that standing that we talk about with the Florida football program, it's very easy for Florida to have the upper hand on social media and say, we would wipe you guys off the face of the earth. We would beat you guys. We would dominate you guys because of that standing in the SEC. And for us on the UCF side, it's like, well, we just want to play. Like, just let us play. Like, let's do this thing. Let's do it. So I think there's obviously going to be a back and forth for quite some time until there is some sort of uh, maybe readjustment of the conferences when it is forced upon them to play again. So we'll see. Yeah. What I, I think the arguments are just going to be, I mean, it's just going to be a constant 
stiff arm back and forth until mm-hmm. until they finally do line it up and play. And because Florida fans think that they've got the SEC and 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 the in the past uh, uh, history of a trophy case that they ha- have filled from '96, '08, '06, and and UCF still has to be able to get to that level because even if they do go undefeated, they're still haven't been able to get over the hump with the committee or whoever else it may be until they are able to line it up and play. There is going to be that, there is going to be that tension uh, between the two because look again, UCF's got to be able to come in and beat one of those guys, which they very, very well can do. Um, But when eventually it's going to happen, eventually they're going to beat one of, they're going to sign up and play and beat one of these big boys, but it's going to be a lot of talk until then. Do you buy into the, um, I guess, Danny White, uh, I guess, speak that he's mentioned, you know, it's not a benefit to these bigger programs playing UCF, so why would they schedule us, comma, it takes two to schedule, comma, it takes two to, you know, tango, we can't do this ourselves. Do you buy into any of that, or do you think that's just all kind of uh, a smoke up in front of the actual further I- issue in, all right, we're just not reaching out and maybe making the correct deals for our program long term? I think he is definitely reaching out because I definitely think he sees the problem that we've been discussing over the last couple of years. But I also think that his footing right now is still on the point where he's got to be able to, he's got to be able to sacrifice something because a one and one for, we'll call it, gosh, we'll call it Georgia. Let's say it's Georgia. For Georgia to want to sign up and play a one and one in Orlando, that doesn't do much for Curry Smart because he's going to play. He plays Clemson and Texas mm-hmm. and all these out of conference teams over the next 10, 15 years in a straight home and home, which benefits them a lot more on the national standing if they if if they can go play uh, Texas and 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 beat Clemson, who's won two titles in the last five years. Um, you got to be able to will. You got to you have to understand that there's going to be a little bit of a sacrifice now because right now. You need you need more. You have more to gain if you can beat one of those schools than for Georgia. If you lose to UCF, you have more to lose mm-hmm. than to gain beating them. So you got to be able to give yourself a little bit of a sacrifice. And I, I don't, I'm not sure where Danny White stands on that. Um, but to get over that hump, you got to be willing to take a risk, and you got to be able to willing to give something up. So if that's an additional home game, so be it. Because if you're again, if we're using Georgia as an example, I mean Georgia's got to play Alabama, Florida, uh, Georgia Tech even, uh, Tennessee, Auburn the rest of the year. So, again, they lose that game. That's a lot more to lose than there is to gain. UCF wins that game. There's a lot more to gain than there is to lose. But yeah. in that scenario, you've got to be able to, willing to give something up. So, if it's two home games, something you've got you, to take on the chin and, and understand, hey, this is part of the path. And I think it's one of those things you just have to realize it's going to do more good for us long term than it will mm-hmm. maybe it's gonna it might suck right and now even if you lose you're on the spot you're in the spotlight yeah uh, i mean even if you compete and go out and compete and and lose a 28 24 game in athens that's that's a that's almost a win in my book because yeah. people are watching that game like okay they can play um they're here and to play a regular loss. season game a quality loss which ucf hasn't had the opportunity to do recently it, exactly people i mean yeah it, it, exactly uh, and, and it shows recruits and people on this national spotlight that they, they, they're here, they're here to stay. Does a one game neutral site game do anything to move the needle as far as these scheduling things are concerned? 
I liked the idea of a one-game neutral site. I thought it would be—I thought it would be fun because Florida had an open. We'll use Florida as an example again. Florida had an opening from there was a couple-year opening between 2021 and 2024, um, and I thought the uh, idea of a, a camping world uh, neutral site or a Tampa neutral site yeah. game um, was very interesting. But it, I mean, at the end of the day, what we find is interesting for you and I, which I think a one—if we could both sign up for that, we would. Um, what we find is interesting doesn't always equate to revenue for Scott Strickland and the Florida athletic department, because that's what it came down to with UCF in the first place was the Florida wants two home games because they can get the revenue from it without having to take a risk of playing a one game scenario in a neutral site. So I, while I think a one game neutral site would be phenomenal, obviously it didn't make sense in the, in the wallet side of things um, for maybe either party, honestly. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that about, George's schedule a few a uh, few points ago that you made you know when you are in one of those bigger conferences you get those top 25 games kind of built into your schedule by simply being within that conference right so Florida knows going into a season they'll get a top 25 game against Georgia if it lines up correctly on the west they might get a top 25 game against Auburn or LSU mm-hmm. um, you know Alabama whoever it is whereas with uh, the the group of five the UCF American conference side of things you almost have to hope that your game against Memphis or your game against Houston is in November to give those teams enough time to maybe go eight and zero or nine and one to where by the time you play them they are top twenty five. So I think that is yeah. another interesting disparity. And the other issue with that is, let's say you've got, and this is not, I mean, this is a no fault at all to UCF or Memphis, whoever, but let's say UCF is uh, nine and one or ten and zero, and they're ranked twelfth, thirteenth in the country, and Memphis is nine and one and ranked nineteenth in the country. UCF wins that game. Memphis is no longer ranked. So mm-hmm. now, now they get to the point where they're looking at the end of the year schedule and looking at UCF's beaten, and Memphis isn't ranked anymore um, because now you've got two teams who uh, have pretty much had perfect slates to this point uh, in their conference, but because they haven't gone and knocked off a of Georgia or who, whoever it may be. They beat the other one. The other one's the other one's out of the ranking. So, and that's again, no fault to either of those teams. It's just that's just how the the schedule lays out. If you're not playing that Big Ten slate or, or whatever it may be, yeah. um, it, it, it's tough. Um, pretty much have to run the table, need a little bit of luck, and hope that you got one of those. Whether it was an, even if it's an Oregon or a Washington or a Texas Tech um, um, at the beginning of the year. Yeah, it's 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 interesting from our standpoint. Before we go, it's it's almost like for us, our path is like a flow chart where do this, then if this happens, but if not, then this happens. And it's like a very big flow chart as to what mm-hmm. we need to happen, where with a lot of other schools, the top 65 and the power five, their flow chart is very direct. Do this and you are here and that's the end of it. So uh, the flow chart with some of those things being out of our control, some of those things being within our control um, is definitely interesting. Last question for you, not football related, more golf related. What's the best course to play in Jacksonville that you enjoy most? Oh man. Um, okay. So I play most of my golf out in St. Augustine in a course called Palencia. Okay. Um, that is the course I'd probably enjoy the most. Um, I private or public. It's one of my favorites. Um, I also thoroughly enjoy what they've done, the renovations at Jack's beach. Um, if you haven't gotten a chance to go out there too, that's, a, it's another, uh, it's another fun little track that you can hop out on. Um, there's a lot of good golf in Jacksonville though. Um, Tim McQuan is a great course. Um, Palencia is hosting, uh, 
Monday qualifier for the Corn Ferry Tour in the next oh, wow. couple weeks, two Monday qualifiers. So it'll be in great shape. Um, it's a tough track. And then I, obviously I think Dyes Valley and World Golf Village are hosting the events. Um, so those will be those will be fun to look forward to. And, um, yeah, Jackson's got some great golf. Even if you go up to uh, Amelia Island and play Oak Marsh and some of those courses up there, there's um, a lot of good golf in this town. Honestly, probably – Outside of South Florida, the Jupiter, West Palm area is probably the best in the state. Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of good courses to play. Obviously, Cimarron is a proud Great sponsor track. of what I do here. So I tough love track. Yeah, it's tough. I love playing over there and, and challenging myself. But uh, always like hearing feedback on other courses that I maybe don't get out to too frequently. Yeah. But Ben, again, thanks for being here. I'll have to tell Drew Boer, uh, you said what's up and uh, let him know that I had you on. But thanks again for being here, and we'll be, we'll be sure to stay connected. If you don't follow him, it's at Ben Murphy TV on Twitter, and definitely check out his playlist on YouTube as well with some of his clips from his time as a sports anchor with First Coast News. So again, Ben, thanks for being here, man. Thanks again for having me, man. I appreciate it. All righty. So I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Ben Murphy, that part two interview. If you missed part one, be sure to go back and check that out. It is on all podcast streaming platforms and YouTube channel as well. Look forward to keeping in touch with Ben and talking Gator football as well as Jaguar football as football season approaches. So thank you again to Ben. But we are here at String Sports Brewery. Just finished up a fantastic meal here for lunch. Again, it is Thursday, 6-11 lunchtime. And speaking of burgers, a new great Twitter account to follow if you are in the Jacksonville area. Uh, at 904 Burgers. Uh, it is 904 Burger Breakdown, a burger connoisseur, if you will, breaking down burgers here in the Jacksonville area. So that is a great account to follow. Give it a follow. Uh, just recently started, but fantastic to uh, read about. So give them a follow. And I do want to dive into the uh, Puji Parlay picks presented by Shores Pub Mandarin. Uh, we did have NASCAR action last night, and we did hit on a few picks. Uh, Martin Truex taking home the victory. We had him as a top three at plus 190, so that was nice to see him win. Uh, someone that slumped, Kyle Busch, just did not perform as well as we were originally expecting. Fell off the lead lap at one point. was three laps off the lead. Um, also, Denny Hamlin was really high on him going into yesterday's race, but Martin Truex pulled out the victory. Um, Brad Keselowski coming in the top three as well, which was another nice payout for us, as was Ryan Blaney uh, finishing in second. So it was a great race. Uh, if you watched it, always fun racing at Martinsville, so that was exciting. And in other news in Puji Parlay world, uh, we do have PGA Tour golf going on right now. That Bryson DeChambeau top 10 pick at plus 275 is also looking strong right now as he currently sits at five under working his way through the back nine, chasing down leader Justin Rose, who is at seven under. So it will be exciting to watch the Charles Schwab challenge leading into the weekend. So that is your Puji Parlay update presented by Shores Pub Mandarin. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Poojie Podcast. Be sure to always check in Mondays and Thursdays for new videos and on Poojie Podcast streaming platforms Tuesday and Friday mornings. Thanks. Be sure to follow our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other podcast streaming services, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel to check out unique video elements for each interview.